celebration to last throughout the years. So bring your good times and your laughter too. We gon' celebrate your party with you. Come on now. Celebrate and have a good time. Celebration. We go celebrate and have a good time. It's time to come together. It's up to you. What's your pleasure?
We're celebrating over 50 years of cool in the gang. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series. My guest is Robert Cool Bell, founder of Cool in the Gang. We talk about not only Cool in the Gang's legacy, but he's a shrewd business person. He's got a line of champagne and wine down, as well as many other things that we get into in this awesome interview starting right now. Robert Cool Bell, welcome. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm uh, really interested in our audience learning more, not only of Cool in the Gang, about your musical roots. I think it would be great to start from the mid-60s. Why don't you oh. uh, start and tell us why you got into the music business? What was your uh, your passion back in the mid-60s? Well, uh, the group started in 1964. Wow. At that time, we called ourselves the Jazz Yaks. And then from the Jazz Yaks, I went to um, the Soul Town Band, and then Cool in the Flames, and then Cool in the Gang. I'll go back to uh, 1960, that's when I moved from Youngstown, Ohio, to Jersey City. And mm-hmm. my brother and I, Aurora Bell, and we met the band members, the first original band members in 1964. And that's when we formed the uh, Jazz Yaks. And that was uh, Dennis Thomas, myself, Robert Spike Mickens, uh, my brother Ronald Bell, and then uh, we later met uh, George Brown, Ricky West, and Charles Smith. Well, what was going on in music in the mid-60s in terms of jazz? What actually influenced you all to get together? Well, we, um, especially my brother was into uh, jazz and listened to uh John Coltrane and uh, Miles Davis, uh, Mr. Freddie Hubbard, you know, uh, myself, uh, Paul Chambers, uh, Ron Connor, uh, Reggie Workman of the Jazz Crusaders. You know, uh, mm-hmm. again, uh, mind you that I was only 13, 14 years old back during that time. So who were youngsters <laughs> being influenced by jazz? Awesome. Awesome. Who did you run into as a youngster? Because uh, New Jersey and uh, the the tri-state area has a lot of bands and a lot of influence in music. Yeah, well, um, we um, started playing at a place called uh, St. John's. And every mm-hmm. Sunday they would have like a sort of a jazz thing going on. And mm-hmm. uh, people like Phil Sanders and uh, McCoy Tyner would come through there, and uh, we would uh, we would do what we did as uh, youngsters uh, playing jazz and listen to these to these guys who uh, influenced us back during that time. Mm-hmm. Now, from there we uh, we started going over to the Cafe Wah in the Village in New York. Wow! And uh, they they had a uh, what they called the Hoot Heavy Night. <laughs> on Sundays, and we were playing over there, and uh, people like uh, early days, like uh, Bill Cosby and a lot of the uh, earlier different uh, uh, musicians would come to uh, Cafe Wah, and we were like, the, you know, like I said, the Sunday band to come through, 
Now, we were just finding our way. Again, you were, you were talking about 13, 14, 15 years old at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we were popped back to Jersey City. And when Charles Smith and uh, George Brown and uh, Ricky West, Charles had been working with a producer who was putting shows together. And these shows were soul town shows. Okay? He was trying to do what Motown was doing at the time. The Motown Review, he had the Soul Town Review. And he asked us if we want to be a part of that. We said, yeah. And so we became the Soul Town Band. And as the Soul Town Band, we had to learn about 20 different songs. Because now you're talking about local talent in Jersey City that was uh, singing the hits of Motown artists like The Temptations or Smokey Robinson and the Miracles or Donna Ross and Supreme, you know, and Little James Brown. So we had to write all those songs uh, as a band, the Soul Town Band. So we moved on from the, from the, the Jazzy Act to the Soul Town Band. Now, whenever we got a break, from backing up these groups, we would go back and throw a little jazz in there. So now what was happening was, you know, our sound started to blend with the jazz and and the uh, R&B because we were playing and learning Motown songs. So we became, we became the Soul Town Band. Awesome. Awesome. Now, how did your music evolve? You know, you were very young. And you're listening to all these different types of music and learning to play other people's music. But, but what was the main influence? I know a lot of turmoil and other things were going on in the 60s. Did that impact your and shape the uh, the sound of the jazz acts? Well, uh, um, well, I guess listening to like John Coltrane and uh, Freddie Hubbard and the Miles Davis and uh, things that was going on. I would say so. I would think that uh, our music started to blend with the jazz that we were doing, with the uh, what we were doing uh, with, with Showtown. To where mm -hmm. when we left Showtown, um, we called ourselves uh, Cool in the Flames. There was a uh, MC from the Showtown organization that came up with this idea. And uh, it was the Blue Note Lounge. That was one of the first clubs we played uh, in Newark. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, she put this poster up in the window, and it had Cool and the Flame. So it was interesting. It had Cool, big brick of ice, uh, carved out gang, and et cetera. I mean, not gang at that time, and the Flames. And so we met our first producer, uh, Eric McCain manager, uh, Gene Red. Gene Red's father had been working with James Brown. So, um, so well, we can't really use the name Flame uh, because you had James Brown and the famous Flames. So we didn't want to do that. So we said, well, what should we call ourselves? So <laughs> Gene Red being the elder, you know, uh, and our first manager, said, go back home and think of something to come up with. <laughs> no one really came up with anything that made any sense. So, so, I said, uh, I think Gene said, uh, well, let's, let's change the flame to game. And that's how it started. <laughs> From his father working with, uh, 
James Brown and the Flames, and uh, and in fact that Gene becoming our first manager and producer, and we didn't want to have any problems with the Godfather, so we said, "Hey man, let's just change, let's just change to the game." <laughs> and that's yeah. fun. Now you have a, a mixture of music uh, that has jazz, R&B, and funk, and that was the very first sound of Cool and the Gang. If you go back, our very first record came out in 1969. It was called Cool and the Gang, and the album was mm-hmm. called Cool and the Gang, and the group was called Cool and the Gang. So everything was Cool and the Gang. And we actually officially started. By the fact, this will be our 50th year as Cool in the Game because uh, the record came out in 1969. And 20, 2019, uh, July, July 3rd was the actual date of Cool in the Game. will be wow. 50 years. That's beautiful. Congratulations. Yes. yes, indeed. Now, you did the blending of very, very genres of music from the beginning. And I went back and listened to what I could find there in, before Hollywood Swinging, before the, 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 the hits that we have now, and you pretty much define who you were, uh, and you've pretty much stayed true. Can you talk about those early albums before you actually had commercial success? Well, actually, um, it was like an up-and-down scenario there. Um, our very first record, Cool in the Gang, surprised us all. It was a top 40 Billboard Charlotte record. Mm-hmm. Our very first record. Uh-huh. And it was all instrumental, no singing, just chants, you know, our style, the Cool in the Gang style. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people in our neighborhood thought we were the Spanish man because... Uh, how the bongos was in the music and the horns and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it had a Latin feel and a, and a, and a, and a uh, R&B feel to it. So our very first record did pretty good. And then we went on with other albums under the Red Coach uh, production. Uh, we had signed with uh, Red Coach, which was Gene Red, who I mentioned was our first manager and producer. Mm-hmm. And then we went on to cut, you know, we had tracks on the Cool in the Gang first album like uh, Breeze and Soul and uh, Sea of Tranquility, uh, Raw Hamburgers. We covered a Temptation called, uh, song, Since I Lost My Baby. Um, mm-hmm. All that was on our very first record. Awesome. Your commercial success um, happened with uh, a couple cuts that are mostly chants and music. And you hear the riffs of the horns and the and the funk in there. Uh, Jungle Boogie, Hollywood Swingin'. Did you talk about that and how that came about? Because that's where most people will remember um, Cool in the Game. Yeah, I kind of, you're right. It kind of started, it kind of started there. Um, although we do run into people from time to time that mention some of those other records that led up to uh, 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 the Wild and Peaceful album. You're talking about the Wild and Peaceful album. Mm-hmm. Um, there was songs you like... Music is the message. Music is yeah, the message. That was all before the Wild and Peaceful. We had Music with the Message. Uh, we had uh, Funky Man. We had Funky Granny. We had Good Times. 
Uh, we had uh, NT. <laughs> there was records that we did that led up to the um, to the uh, uh, Wild and Peaceful album. Now these records, uh, and we were like had territorial uh, 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 music uh, was like in Philadelphia, uh, Washington D.C., Baltimore. You know, maybe we got down to Virginia and that area. And that's with Destiny, New York, you know, Philadelphia. But the record company kind of felt that, hey, you guys, uh, you're doing all right, but you need to get a producer. And we said, well, okay, who do you have in mind? And they came up with uh, the gentleman who produced Mama DeBongo, Soul Makusa. Mm-hmm. He had a big record at that time. And uh, they suggested that we we meet with him, and we had one meeting with him, and uh, we, we weren't quite feeling, you know, the direction he wanted to take us. Mm-hmm. So we told the record company, "Listen, we're gonna go and rehearse, and we're gonna come up with some music that we feel that's cool in the game." Which we did. We went to a place called Sony, um, oh no, Baggies. We're called Baggies. And downtown, uh, uh, in, in, in the village area. And that day we went in, we went in around eight o'clock in the morning and we started rehearsing and jamming. And by eleven o'clock that night we had created Hollywood Swinging, Jungle Boogie, and Funky Stuff. Mm-hmm. This became number one records on the RV side, uh, number one, top, Five, uh, Jungle Boogie and uh, Hollywood Swing on the pop charts. So, needless to say, no more problems from the record company. Amen. <laughs> yes. You so. were very strong with the creative side, and it, it really shows in, uh, in the success of those records. Yes, that's, yeah, exactly. And then uh, we moved on. And, um, uh, the next uh, album we did, which was uh, had uh, some of the albums on there, it was called Light the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And uh, no one knew that Summer Madness was going to become the record that it became. That it became rather. Mm-hmm. Summer Madness um, was the B side of Spirit of the Boogie. Spirit right. of the Boogie was another track that we did, and the Spirit of Jungle Boogie. And Chicago. I can't think of the DJ's name at the time. Uh, it was quite some time ago. But uh, uh, Spirit of the Boogie was a single, and he turned the record over. Because on the B side, that's when you when you start A and B sides. On the B side, it was uh, Summer Madness. And he turned the record over, and the lights lit up in the station. And he asked people, well, who is this? And people call, oh, yeah, that's Herbie Hancock, or that's uh, <laughs> uh, a few other names, Donald Bird, and et cetera, et cetera. said, no, that's cool in the game. And some of that became a very big record for us, uh, actually. Especially in Chicago, because Chicago was the home of the Steppers. Uh, I didn't know that. I found out later that they used mm-hmm. to step off of uh, some of Madness. You've been able to be true to your brand and your style. Um, talk about what happened because disco became, well, prominent. And, right. um, yeah, what happened during that period? Because you did bounce back, but 
through that period from those wonderful uh, albums of the early 70s, almost, you know, to 74, then that five-year um, lull, what were you guys thinking about music at the time? Well, um, at the time, we felt that we had to uh, come up with some type of disco or dance record concept. And um, we uh, came up with uh, an album uh, where everybody's dancing. It was the name of that album. I don't know how many fans really know that then. Maybe quite a few. Did pick that one up, but it was a um, it was an album that was uh, created for the dance floor, but it still had the Cooling Gang sound to it. Mm-hmm. And we had a song on there called "Everybody's Dancing," and uh, we did songs like "The Force," and which was grooves, but it was um, we thought it was danceable. But the biggest mm-hmm. one that came out of that particular time period was "Open Sesame." That's right. Open Sesame was a uh, dance floor song, but the top was all jazz. Mm-hmm. And we were blessed to do uh, that director was put into the movie Saturday Night Fever uh, with John Travolta and the Bee Gees. And that mm-hmm. kind of took us to a whole nother level because that was the one of your biggest records until Michael Jackson came around with Thriller. That record mm-hmm. had over 20 million, 25 million. And the movie was, was a big movie. And that's kind of how we made it through that little time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I look at the brand of, of Cool in the Gang, and even in, in that time, you're true to your music. And then you do a little bit of a swing uh, musically in the late 70s. How did all that come about? Well, yeah, that's what I said. That was, um, that was us, uh, listening to what was going on out there and trying to create, you know, uh, dance, dance records. I mean, I mean, you would say, because some of us playing our music was dance records anyway, but we had a right. funk edge, we had a funk jazz edge to what we were doing, you know? Right. Instead of the straight, uh, uh, your straight regular disco beat or sounds at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, we funk is totally a different vibe than disco. I mean, it's a totally different. We know it now is a totally different vibe in and of itself. Yeah, Those yeah, that, the, yeah, yeah. But funk definitely was a different vibe from disco. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the disco was more on the one, you know, uh, straight uh, disco beat. And uh, Open Sesame, uh, the beat itself was uh, was a disco beat, but the horn section was doing something totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Force and some of the other stuff that we did, we kept it on the one, uh, the disco beat, but uh, everything else was, I mean, if you listen to it very closely, you'll hear jazz riffs, you'll hear funk riffs, but you still have the uh, the beat there for the people can dance. Now, we were like... Um, uh, what I'm trying to think of some of the big disco artists like the Donna Summers and the uh, Barry Whites and, uh, of that time. Uh, a few others, mm-hmm. too. Ours was a little different from that. Oh, yeah, because you were able to weather the whole disco era, um, and a lot of people didn't. 
That's why I asked that question. You were able to weather that because I believe you stayed true to your funk style. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and but we 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 tried. Yeah, you're right. But we tried to add a little disco beat. But yeah, we stayed to our funk style. But during that time, I think what happened, uh, which kind of brought us out of that, was uh, of course you know Saturday Night Fever and uh, the big record, the, the movie, and all that. We were out on tour with the Jacksons. Uh, at that time, it was the Jackson Five, but Michael was there. And uh, there was a producer by the name of uh, the tour of name Dick Griffey. Dick, Dick Griffey also owned Solar Records, which later became with the the, the Whispers and Salomon and all those artists. Mm-hmm. But um, he uh, came uh, came up came to us and said, "Hey, um, you know, you guys are doing all right on the tour, but I think you need to get a lead singer." And we said, "Well." You really think so? He said, uh, yeah, I think you need to get a, uh, a front man. And so we thought about it. And then um, we said, well, he might have a point there. At that time, Lionel Richie, uh, the lead singer for the Commodores. Philip Bailey and Maurice White were the lead singers for Earth, One and Fire. So we looked at it. And we went into a studio in New Jersey called The House of Music. Where Amir Diodaro was producing his album there, and you'll have different type of groups coming in and out of there. And this gentleman who started working with us, uh, Val Hackett, for a short period of time, he knew of this group that J.T. Taylor was singing at. And J.T. Mm-hmm. Taylor came by at the studio. We, you know, we met him because we didn't audition a lot of people. Last night, I think, <laughs> it was only him. <laughs> And, yeah. and when he came by the studio, and uh, my brother started playing some chord changes and asked him to, asking him to sing this, sing that, and uh, uh, he had the flavor. Uh, my brother always quote and would say that he sounded like a young Nat King Cole to somebody, you know. But <laughs> but also he can can deliver what we delivered. Now, I was hanging out in New York during the time, my wife and I, and that's when you had Studio 54 and Regimes. And uh, every uh, weekend, they had a ladies' night. So we're working on this album. I came back to the guys and said, listen, I got a great idea and concept here. And uh, one of the songs was hanging out, because that's what I was doing. <laughs> and then ladies' night, and that's what was happening. So... JT joined the band, Diodala became the producer, we created the song Ladies Night, and now we're in the 80s, we didn't have to worry about disco anymore. Amen. So said that we became a big pop act, I guess we did to some degree, but that's what was just the evolution of our music. And it still kept the Cool in the Gang style. Ladies Night what? still had a Cool in the Gang signature, but it's a wow, who's that guy singer? There's a lot going on in music from the 70s and 80s, and very few bands and artists uh, were able to transition into that. Do you feel getting a lead singer helped you during that time, uh, whether that storm? Uh, yeah, yes, it did. I think that, that was uh, the audience of people hearing Cooling Gang a little differently, you know, with JT as the lead singer. 
Whereas all doing the submarines, they heard more of the funk and the jazz, the chant type music, like again, jungle boogie, funky stuff. And, uh, so here we come out, uh, in the beginning, Rex came out in, uh, in, uh, 1979. Mm-hmm. And it was right with that whole disco, uh, music thing was getting beat up and they burning the albums in Chicago and anti-disco, this and that and that. We slipped right through there into the 80s. Because after that, ladies' night, then came too hot, and then came, you know, a whole different style of music, but still cool again. You know, right. get down on it, celebration. We go on and on, cherish, fresh. I like Miss Lead. <laughs> Miss Lead was a different approach as well. Yeah. It was more like a rock funk record, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this red, and then we had emergency, and we had mm-hmm. tonight. Mhm. And so we, through we, those hits, you were able to influence not only um, your adult audience by that time from the seventies. You were able to have a great impact worldwide. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we just started to go everywhere. I mean, we had number one records and. In Japan, like Cherish was the number one record for us in Japan. We had the number one records in France, England, all out through Europe, um, all through Australia. Which we just got back. We just did seven shows. How <laughs> the Jacksons, actually. Just got back last night <laughs> uh, with the Jacksons and uh, uh, the Village People, uh, Sister Sledge on that show, uh, the mm-hmm. Pointer Sisters. It was quite interesting, but yeah, that that that's how we um, we uh, made another shift. It turned out every ten years we would make a move. That thought was um, well, some was because of what was going on in the industry, and others was becoming uh, because we were growing. You know, because with the lead singer, we went to a lot of different areas that we didn't do in the seventies, but we did it in the eighties. Your music has appeared not only in movies, people sample, you know, even latest artists of today, they sample uh, your music. What do you think of that as a legacy where you're you're able to hear your music in a different way when another artist, uh, you know, has a different take on that? Well, I think that's, um, that's a blessing uh, to uh, be able to sustain and have uh, other artists, younger artists, uh, to sample, to sample our music. Um, I think that, um, well, when, uh, hip hop became stronger, uh, um, if you listen to a lot of the people who sampled us, they sampled the stuff from the 70s. You mm-hmm. know, you know, you're talking about, uh, uh, Tribe Called Quest or, or, a Public Enemy, uh, you know, Buster Rhyme, all those guys who have sampled a little bit of our music. They were they were captured in the seventies because mm-hmm. we were bands that didn't sing. We were bands. It was about music. Right. So hip hop was something new, rapping over tracks. By the side, mm-hmm. we had a, a record with the last poets. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Some of our fans know about it. Some of them don't. We did the, the Hustlers Convention. We put we had four songs on there. Well, I mean, right. song we get we provided the music. Mm-hmm. And those were some of your first rappers, uh, the last poets. Mm-hmm. 
And then of course it went to another level, to another level, to another level. Now, and then, then, uh, uh, we were sampled by tracks, uh, for Janet Jackson, uh, Madonna, <laughs> you know, uh, Will Smith got a big one. That's how I'm him a number one record for him, uh, platinum, mm-hmm. platinum plus, and he was on into the movies. He became a movie star. Right. Yeah, that's why I asked you about that. You started out as a musician and became songwriters, and recently you were inducted in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And you've been able to see music from different angles, different generations, different countries. And you're celebrating your 50th year. That's very rare. You know, yeah, for a band to be together. <laughs> yeah, and you're still and you're still here and out there to uh, be able to represent that uh, the era where people played music uh, more. You know, more of the instrumentation. Do you think music will ever get back to that, or groups will get back to that? Well, uh, well, let me uh, just say one thing in terms of where. Where we at in uh, music? Um, uh, three years ago, we did 48 shows with Van Halen. We did wow. 10 shows with Kid Rock. We opened up for the Dave Matthews Band. So, who would think, you know, what we did in the 70s and moving into the 80s that uh, we'll be out with Van Halen? But people would say, wow, how is that going to work? Cool the gang of Van Halen? David Lee Roth had a vision. He said, Dad, he told me, he said, look, man. He said, in the back then, when we first started, we used to play funky stuff in Jungle Boogie in the clubs out in L.A. So I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he said, um, 50% of my audience are ladies. Okay. And he said, you guys have ladies night, and then we had the song Jump, and you guys had celebration in the 80s. So he said, hey, let's go out and have a party. And that's what we did. 42 cities around the country was stopped. <laughs> so, I mean, but that, that's how it goes. In, uh, in our career, things happen. We mix it up. And um, we keep going. Like do ourselves better, you know? <laughs> What's musical in the gang? Are you recording any new music? And uh, what is your tour like this year now that you're celebrating 50 years? Yeah, we're putting it all together now. We have a uh, concept. Uh, an album that we might, uh, we're, we're talking about coming out with called Legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, the Cool and the Gang Legacy, which we have a little mixture of jazz. We're going to kind of tie it all in, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole 50 years of different styles that we have played for. I mean, like from, uh, Miss Lynn, like you just mentioned, or Summer Madness, or I remember John Coltrane, or, or, or Funky Stuff again, or, and we might, um, might uh, like to uh, 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 invite a couple of artists, you know, to take this 50-year ride with us. I don't know, Bruno Mars. Uh, I, I guess he might. I don't know. He's big enough. He wants us to ride with I him. I can't see him turning that down since he loves the classics so much. I can't see. I can see you guys all together. It would be great to see because um, you've influenced so many people and many more people. I mean, when you said David Lee Roth, called you up, there are probably many more groups from the 
you know, the different decades that you've influenced over the years that you just don't know about. It would be quite interesting because if uh, if uh, 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 Van Halen and uh, uh, Kid Rock and all those guys can can see something there, I mean, here's this guy Bruno Mars who was in Florida. Definitely was in Florida for our music. Just listen to it. <laughs> okay, oh yeah, a little, yeah, you important. Mm-hmm. He's one of the the few that are bringing back uh, the classic style of. R&B. Um, uh, so is yeah. Kendrick Lamar. You know, Kendrick Lamar is. You know, so yeah. you got Purple Williams. You know, you got some people, John Legend, and and, 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 and it goes on, Childish Gambino. And all these new people, um, they are really influenced by the classics. And, of course, you know, people over in Europe are also into R&B and influenced by the classics. <laughs> oh, yeah. We just, uh, you know, we... we we do a lot of festivals. We do a hundred some shows a year. We do a lot of uh, big festivals in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, festivals. Uh, we did the big one in Morocco with Justin Timberlake. Uh, artists like that had uh, played a couple of days before we got there. We we just we did the big one in Shanghai. Uh, you know, uh, we're getting ready to do something uh, going back to South Africa. Um, wow. I'm uh, working on the uh, memorial, excuse for my wife. I lost my wife about 30 days ago. She, she died from glioblastoma, the same cancer that uh, John McCain had. And uh, one of the last places that we went was South Africa, Cape Town and Joburg. So mm-hmm. I, I'm looking to go back there and doing a big concert in her name. Amen. Amen. Well, so, this has been fun to talk about, and I'm really sorry about the loss of your wife, but I'm glad that you are putting something together in her memory. Yes. Can we, yes, talk, can we find out about that? Can we find out more about what you're going to be doing on your website with that so fans um, can... Well, I just have Yeah. I have a, uh, we're going up on a website a couple of weeks called Just Cool Enterprises. And, okay. And... Uh, that's other things that I'm doing right now, and that's something that she and I were doing together. So, and okay. uh, her legacy and pushing her, I'm definitely moving to uh, make these things happen, like her foundation, the Cool Kids Foundation. Uh, she has a company that was called DreamStar. We're taking young talent uh, and putting together uh, like a, um, almost like American... Make an idol concept, but we already have four artists now that we will be uh, producing, and, with, and you'll hear uh, about these artists this year. You know, so these are different things that she and I had planned, and she was the driving force behind me. You know, so wow, me. What well, sounds like a beautiful concept? I'd be, and I'm sure my listeners would be interested in hearing and reading more about that and finding out more about these new artists and some great things that are happening with you and the band. Well, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for this interview. I really appreciate it. We all appreciate you. And uh, happy 50th. I mean, that's a, that's a blessing, truly a blessing. Yes, yes, we're very thankful. And we're all geared up for a lot of different things. Actually, we kicked it off and... Uh, Australia, like I said, I sat back last night. So, you know, um, well, yeah, and we'll be yeah, we'll, it up. 
Yeah, like so where are you now? Excuse me? Where are you headed after after Australia? What is your tour looking like? So we're we're doing uh, some dates around the States uh, right now. Um, we have a, another big summer in Europe for the summer. But will we get in the album out? Oh, yeah. My son. My son has uh, a record called Royalty. Wow. Okay. And that's coming out. After it was a slow release before the holidays, but now we're going to re- uh, we're going to really push that, and we're on the record with him. You know, it's like his name is Prince Hakeem, featuring Walter Anderson and Cool and the Gang. Wow, that sounds great. And the song is dedicated to his mother. It was a, it's about lifting up women, uh, royalty. Uh, ladies are royal, just like we do with ladies, right? And he's definitely dedicated this record to his mother. Uh, her name is Sakina. Beautiful. That's all exciting. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make sure that uh, Angela gets, gets the record over to you. We have a video out on that also. Great. Yeah, pass that along to me, and possibly we can get that on our site. Uh, to get to the listeners or have them redirect back to yours so they can watch the, the video and, and look at the schedule that you have and that he has coming up for 2019. And oh. how are you going to celebrate your 50th birthday uh, celebration for Cool and the Gang on the 3rd of July, you said? Yeah, we're looking at that. We want to do <laughs> something big around our hometown, around Jersey City, you know. Um, yeah, I'm from I'm from New Brunswick, so I mean, I keep me okay, close. Yeah, I know that. So yeah, we're gonna do family in, uh, in Jersey. You know, Jersey gets down. That's the town that gets down. That's where it all started. We definitely gotta do something there for our fiftieth. Amen. That would be so much fun, especially around summertime. And you said the third of July and fourth of July. I don't know what day that is on the calendar for 2019, but that would be a great celebration. Yeah, that's what we're looking at. We really want to do something big on uh, Ashley, which will be the 4th of July weekend. I mean, the song came out on the 3rd, so you got the 3rd, 4th, 4th of July weekend. Amen. Or week two, I don't know exactly where the 4th of July falls in either, but uh, yeah, but it will be around the, uh, the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of July, yeah. I want to ask this one last question. Has it been worth these 50 years, all the twists and turns that you've had, musically and the different artists that you and the different musicians that have played in the band and all the good and the bad. Has it been worth it these all, all these fifty years? Uh, of course it hasn't been worth it, you said? Yeah. Well <laughs> yeah. I mean you never know what uh, how things are playing out for you for your life, you know. I have a saying uh that I use now and, and it is that you live and learn. And then you learn to live. Now, he's a young guy from Youngstown, Ohio, 14 years old, coming to Jersey City. I didn't know that I would be around 50 years later <laughs> and having uh, an uh, a up-and-down sort of uh, career. But in the last part, we have been riding pretty hard, so that, that that's a blessing. That is a blessing, and you've got music from, you know, the last five decades that somebody knows somewhere. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a teenager who listened to their parents' or grandparents' music or music that they've heard with the sports events like Celebrate 
But somewhere in the last 50 years, you've been, you know, been able to be a blessing to so many different generations of people that can come together and they know a cool in the game record or music or, you know, they know what you do. Yeah, they know or their parents know or their parents uh, would tell them, you know, <laughs> especially on the sampling side, you know, uh, like the Will Smith scenario. Uh, like the P. Diddy, uh, Puffy at the time, he took Hollywood Swing with Mace, had a big record, called Bad, Bad, Bad Girl, Bad Boy, whatever it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, you know. I saw a record. Yeah, I, I, I'm more into MP3 in my generation, but I now see albums used as art in some of these honky-tonk restaurants. They'll put an album cover up of the band, and the record. And they had all these different albums from the 70s, 80s. Um, I, and they were just using it as art. And I yeah, know well, those... Yeah, well, coming back. Slowly, Justice coming out of, from a European perspective, uh, you know, also in the Far East, uh, you know, Japan and different things. Um that, that for some people are going back to vinyl. You know, there's kids that only know vinyl, vinyl what? What's vinyl? I know streaming. Vinyl's an art vinyl. <laughs> vinyl's an art piece for us. So I thought it was kind of interesting that they were adorning the, 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 the walls of the restaurant with records, discs, and whatnot. So you have to read who it is and what. And I'm thinking, wow, where did you actually get a record player? So, yeah, they say some vinyl is coming back, but I don't know if I want a big, bulky record player. I could just get them MP3, so. <laughs> but I'm glad my grandparents have them, you know. <laughs> so, um, but it's uh, been great to interview you. It's been great, um, great interview. Just let me know what's going on with your son and what's going on with Cool in the Game um, so we can publicize what's going on, um, you know, down the road. We'd love to know about it. Yeah, okay, well then, uh, Angelo, uh, one of my PR funds will get all the information to you on what we're going to be doing this year. Thank you so much for being with me. Appreciate okay, it. thank you. You've been listening to Building Abundant Success with Sabrina Marie. Copyright April 5th, 2023.